was almost like my feet were glued to the floor. My dad kept saying, Go, Christina, they're waiting for you, Chamaca. My shoes felt like they were made of concrete as I slowly walked over to the tallest ride I've ever seen. Of course, to make me feel better, the five-year-old ran to the ride and fastened their seatbelt. I, the eight-year-old, was not ready to die. When I finally made it over to my seat, I was like, nah, this is not for me. Get me off right now. But then my dad was like, hey, don't you dare get off. I paid good money for that ticket. So I stayed. With tears going down my face, I was repenting my sins and then whoosh. I started screaming of fear so loudly, I think the other parents were kind of concerned. Maybe they were thinking, what kind of father would let her go on this baby ride? And the other parents were probably thinking, hmm, what a wimp. Anyways, I screamed and then a drop came and then the crying turned into laughing. No, I wasn't going hysterical. My cries turned into, woo, <laughs> I got off the ride and then my dad started saying, see, it wasn't that bad, was it? But I didn't stick around for him to gloat. I ran to the line again and again and again, and I stayed until the, until the mall was closed. My dad looked at me and said, I, good job, Chamaka. Next week, you'll go on the SpongeBob ride. I was like, uh, and then I started crying again. Hi, I'm Tashan. I like football, basketball, and enjoy fishing. Hi, I'm Grace, and I like colorful stickers, baking cakes, and $1 burritos from Walmart. Hi, I'm Christina, and I like the sound of rain, thrifting. This one might be controversial, but I like the broccoli cheddar pizza. Welcome to the Modern Story Podcast, episode number nine. Today, we're telling the stories about how the tables have turned. Just like in Christina's story, where an unexpected ending arises, where she actually enjoyed the ride she thought she was going to be terrified on, we will see this theme carry into three stories we will tell next. In some of these cases, there will be a good twist, and some there will be a bad twist. Stay tuned. All right, so let's get started with Tayshawn's story called Play Call of a Lifetime. It's third and five with seven minutes left in the second quarter. Junior Tayshawn Manning drops back to pass with no one open. He tucks it and runs. He evades the defender and then is hit hard and lands awkwardly. Manning, seen holding his leg, uttering in pain, is helped off the field by trainers and coaches, but he refuses to leave the field and supports his teammates through pain although the game would result in a loss. Saturday morning, he would get up and could not even walk and would think to himself, I don't think I can practice on Monday. I don't know if I will be able to play next Friday. He just didn't know. Monday morning comes around, and he sees his basketball coach and asks him, have you been to the hospital, and have you been able to get an MRI scan? Manning replies, no, I haven't. I don't know if I should go. I might have to miss the rest of the season. I remember this whole scenario like it was yesterday. My basketball coach would go, out of, would go out of his way and sign me out of school and take me to the doctor to get an MRI scan for my knee. The doctor would give me a 1 through 10 pain test, and I didn't know if I should be truthful and tell the doctor if it really hurt or not. But it didn't matter because the doctor would run the scan and it would come back as a medial and lateral meniscus tear. I was devastated. As I was given two options, either to get surgery and set out from sports for the next six months, or play the next five weeks and have knee problems by the time I was 30. Making such a big, big decision, I was stuck in my thoughts, thinking of my friends on the team, but also thinking of my longevity, and did not know what to say to the doctor. Luckily, my mother arrived, and I was beyond relieved to see her. My mother had spoken to the doctor and made the decision for me. I would have to undergo surgery. Heartbroken, I had no words, only the thoughts of sitting up for the next six months of sports. I didn't know I would... Do, I didn't know what I would do for six months and getting out of school at 3.30 and not being able to practice. 
not being able to practice helped me learn how to be more supportive of my teammates, how to connect with the youth, and I didn't know that I didn't know I had such a great influence on. But especially, it, it enabled me to spend more time with my mother. After six months, it was track season. I was cleared by doctors to participate in sports again, and once again, didn't know what to expect. I would slowly progress through the season, and at the end of the season, I'd be a state finalist in two relays, being the 4x1 and 4x2. And after a confidence boost in track season, I knew that football season was coming back around, and I was extremely nervous and anxious. All I could think was about my knee and the moment that wrecked my life. I had spoken to my mother about my anxiety for the season, and she told me, it's okay to be nervous. I know you better than you know yourself, and I know you're going to do great things. After that, such a confidence-boosting talk with my mother, I will go on to have a record-breaking senior season. And I vividly remember the last moment when the clock hit zero on my last high school football game in the playoffs. I would break into tears. In the last moments, I would go to my mother to the bleachers after the game and say, thank you, Mom. I don't know what I would do without you. Wow, I'm so impressed with how you were able to recover some, from such a big injury and even find like the bright side and all those things. Yeah. Um, one question I have for you is, how did you feel when your mom made that decision for you when you were at the hospital? Like, was that surprising for you? Were you expecting it? Um, it's something I would say that I definitely expected. Like, I don't think anybody wants a kid having knee problems by the time they're 30. But yeah, I was kind of being a knucklehead. I was going to say that I was going to play for the next five weeks, but... It just wasn't worth my longevity. Um, another question I have for you is, how did you feel when you had to like sit out your practices where you're like bummed that you weren't able to play or you were like, I'll just come back stronger or better? Or how um, were you feeling? I would say at first I was like definitely bummed out. Like mm. I didn't even, I would kind of sit there and cry like, there's yeah. no way I'm not practicing right now. Um, but I guess as that went on and I was able to kind of like, I guess view it from a different point, I guess from like a, more of a teammate and spectator's perspective, I would like be more determined to come back. And I guess that's what kind of led to having such a good senior season. Yeah, that's awesome. Here is Grace and her story called A Normal Day That Changed Everything. March 11th, 2016 started just like any other day. I woke up on the top of my horribly scratched dark brown bunk bed to the sound of the Chimes Apple alarm. I used the sound because I hated it, and I would turn it off right away instead of pressing the snooze button. I shook the bed lightly to check if my sister was there. If she was still in bed, she would mimic the motion with extra aggression as a way of saying, hey, stop that. When I got no response, I turned on some music to stop myself from falling back asleep. My morning continued to be normal, so I assumed my afternoon would be as well. However, at around 4 o'clock, the sound of the piano playing Claire de Lune wafted up to my bedroom and I knew something was up. Every time my mother wanted the family to meet together, she took to the piano to get her attention. I think it was supposed to be comforting, but for some reason it typically made me more nervous than anything. It took a while for the conversation to cut to the chase. It usually did. My parents would sit us in a circle and then each person would take their turn saying their highs and lows of the past week. After the usual intro of the family meeting, we got to the heart of the matter. My dad had gotten a new job offer, and they wanted to know how we would feel about moving. I was reassured to know that my family was considering our f opinions, but I wasn't sure of what to say at first. Absent-mindedly, I turned on my phone and found 20 new messages from my best friends. 
They were twins with opposite opinions and usually took to the Instagram comment section to argue. I never liked public arguments. The first time I ever got involved in such a spectacle was when I was around five and fought with my older brother over who would steer the blue shopping cart around Walmart. Hey, it's my turn today, I exclaimed when Graham grabbed the gray handle. That doesn't matter. You're going in the wrong direction, he shouted back. Too busy arguing over who would take charge, we didn't hear another shopper come up behind us and we barely came to a stop in time. Several onlookers shook their heads and commented on our behavior. Though I was still young, I still felt as though I would never recover from the embarrassment of having someone witness my argument. Perhaps this is where my desire for privacy and solitude comes from. And perhaps this is why, when my family suggested moving, I found myself looking forward to it. All those embarrassing events would be erased from my record and I could start anew. When I voted in favor of leaving St. Cloud, I never knew what a big impact it would have on my life. What I didn't think of was the chance to redefine myself, to meet new people, and to leave the relationships that become awkward behind. What I didn't think of was the loneliness I would experience and the desire to see someone familiar, even if it meant having those awkward conversations I usually would have avoided. One, two, three, four. That's a great story, Grace. One question that I think I have is like, I feel like I'm an introvert too, so I feel like if I would have to move, I'd be like, oh no, new people, new changes and everything. But it seems like you were mostly excited. Yeah. Um, do you think you were more excited to have like a new identity and like kind of rediscover yourself? Or were you more like anxious about those changes that were coming? Honestly, I think I was just so like the anxious, like random interactions that I had with people, like all of that past would go away. So I went out in public, I wouldn't have to worry about like, oh no, remember that. I think it was on that way, but I do understand how like maybe going to a new place would be hard for other introverts. (laughs) I would also consider myself an introvert. Um, One thing I want to ask is, I feel like even as introverts, we all kind of need friends. Mm -hmm. So how would you, how would you say you went about the process of like finding new friends, I would say? I think that was definitely what I was reflecting on in the end was that I definitely needed a lot of friends and it took a while but I think coming here to Bethel was one of the ways that I ended up making new friends after I moved. Uh, now here's Christina and her story called So She's Not Shy. What can I get for you ma'am? This is it. This is the moment I die. I'm just kidding. This is not where I die. Sorry guys. Okay. Although I might have died a little bit, just internally, this was a moment where I really wanted to just disappear. I was 12 year- years old, more than capable of talking to another human being. Not sure why it was such a difficult task for me sometimes. But in this moment, I had the same feeling when my dad and I were in the Aldi cashier line waiting to check out. Then he said the words, Híjole, I forgot the f- las tortillas. I'll be right back. Hey, pa, no, don't leave me. Uh, he already left. The awkward silence between me and the cashier was too much for me to bear. So when he asked me how I was doing, all I could say, sorry, no English, even though I definitely knew English at that point. But at this subway, I felt 10 times more nervous. My dad decided that for lunch we were having sushi, but I absolutely refused to eat raw fish. I had heard things about like salmonella and I was really committed. I was a really committed SpongeBob fan. So telling me, so telling me to eat sushi, it was like telling my dog buddy to stop barking at everything. Not happening. P.S. This was before I ever tried sushi, and it's actually pretty delicious. Especially with soy sauce and wasabi. I just hooked you guys up. Okay, anyways, back to 12-year-old me. Sushi and me, not happening. Okay, fine. Don't eat the sushi. Do you want Subway instead? Ooh, that sounds good. Okay. And then my dry dad drives to the Subway parking lot, takes out a $20 bill, looks at me dead in the eyes, and says, Go order it. Wow. Panic has entered the chat. 
my eyes opened so wide that it almost felt like my eyes were about to pop out. Maybe that's why I need glasses right now. I started laughing nervously, hoping that he was maybe kidding. He wasn't. The nervous laughing turned into denial, then protesting, then anger, then tears, then sadness, and finally acceptance. My dad told me to go in. I was still mad, but I did it. With my eyes a little red and a lump still in my throat, I went in. The store was empty and there was only one employee. I went up to the counter and with shaky hands and fake politeness went through with my order. I was a very picky eater at that time and it physically hurt me when I didn't have enough confidence to tell her that I wanted every item separately. I got my sandwich to the, the, the chicken and the tomato and the mayo all inside the bun. I almost cried. In what universe is it okay for tomatoes and mayo to be touching? Disgusting. I was so mad that I ripped the bag open, threw the sandwich against the wall, and then I, that'll be $7. Oh, that did the trick to snap me out of my daydream and hand her the money. She took it and said, enjoy. I replied, you too. Oh my gosh. I walked out and got back in my dad's car. No cookie, my dad asked. Don't talk to me. That's what I said to my dad. My dad thought it was hilarious. We went to the sushi place where my dad enjoyed eating his, his, his fish fresh from the ocean while I sat across the booth while I ate my Subway. Eat fresh. Hashtag not sponsored. I will say that this moment has become a core memory. My dad always tells the story when he gets a chance. Although I hated how he puts me on the spot at that time, it made me realize that I'm more than capable of talking to another human being and that a conversation with an employee will not actually result in death. One, two, three, four. I love that story. Um, so my question for you after hearing that story is, did it take you a while to get used to those interactions or was it one of those like sudden experiences where you immediately adjusted to talking to strangers? Yeah, good question. I mean, I, that definitely like was a turning point for me because I've always just assumed that, oh yeah, my parents do everything for me. But then uh, I started becoming like a lot more having opportunities where I would have to be like the leader or just having to talk at that point. And then I eventually started working at Walmart as a cashier. So I became the, the cashier. And when I saw the parents leave, I always I was like the kid, like, I'm right with you there. <laughs> I know exactly how you feel. So like, but it, this was one step closer to like saying, oh, I can actually do this. And it's like, it won't, I won't die, you know? So like, it's helped, definitely helped me become like more confident in myself. Yeah, I mean, I guess just to kind of piggyback off of Grace's question, um, it, the story definitely seems like your dad kind of helped you. Mm-hmm. in a manner so how would you say he kind of he kind of pushed you to be able to speak for yourself yeah I think my dad has does a really good job of just pushing me he knows that I'm more confident than I seem like he has like signed me up into a lot of things that I really didn't think I'd be capable to, of doing but like he knows me then he says that you know your your shyness I don't know where you got that from but you need to get that away from you so um, he's definitely helped me get out of my comfort zone and like I've had more experiences where I've been able to get out of my shell and you know one of my models this year is like becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable so like just being with this story and just like all all the times that I've been like you know getting out of my comfort zone are experiences where I'm able to grow so that's something I've really enjoyed doing. All right guys so what have we learned today? Well, I don't know about you two, but I've learned that our expectations are not to be trusted in both good and bad ways. I realized how much moving would change. I had not realized how much moving would change my experiences, and I'm sure that you were not expecting to like sushi after a lifetime of avoiding it either, Christina. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. (laughs) I learned that, I don't know about you guys, but I learned that introverts are the best kind of people. 
we doubt ourselves, but we eventually grow out of our comfort zone and become better people. And I just think that we have so many much more experiences where we are like combating our fears and just being able to just uh, do things that we never thought we could ever do. I've learned that um, that sometimes we really do need help making decisions because we kind of think self-centered a lot or and and for our, our own purpose. And we, we don't see for the, the light that we truly need. And our parents are really, really good at helping us with that. We want to thank some people for helping us out in the Modern Story Podcast at Bethel University in St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks to Professor Chris Schaffner and his teaching assistants for maintaining the podcast studio and giving us access to it. Thanks to the writers such as Callie Kimes and em- Emma Eidvog who inspired our stories. And we should also thank each other for our edits. Thank you, guys. Look for the next episode of Modern Story Podcast, which is titled, I Don't Know. And lastly, go tell your roommates and your local cashier about Modern Story. Go tell Joe Biden right now, and he'll take you out to dinner. He won't really take you out to dinner.